Coming to you from the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, I'm Colin Marshall. This is the Los Angeles Review of Books podcast. Today I'm talking to, well, a, guy, a type of guy you, you meet in Los Angeles every now and again, but he's, a, I think, a more successful version of that type of guy. He is the writer slash actor. He's been an actor for a long time. He's been a voice actor. He's the voice of Jackie Chan on Jackie Chan Adventures. He's been on screen as well, like in the indie feature uh, Strawberry Fields from the 90s. If you were into Asian-American indie movies of the 90s, uh, like I've been, uh, you'll have seen that. He's also a writer because he's become... How do I put it? He's he, he's become a debut novelist. His first novel has been published just recently. It's called Still Life, Las Vegas. It's the story of... How do I? It's a story of a few different things at once. It's the story of a young, somewhat alienated kid growing up in Las Vegas. It's the story of Greek mythology as well. It's the story of how we turn mundane or rather less mundane events in our life into mythology and much more. He's joined, by the way, by his illustrator. This is a book not just with illustrations. It's a book that I feel could not exist without the illustrations. It's a visual book, and it's visual in a different way than you might expect. We'll get into it. The illustrator, who's just recently moved to Los Angeles from New York City, is Song Yun Che, and this writer is named James C. We'll be talking to both of them. James, first, tell me this. I, I went to Los Angeles for the first time ever last year, and I missed out on one of the things I most wanted to see because it had gone, the Liberace Museum. What did I miss by not seeing the Liberace Museum? The Liberace Museum was pretty amazing. It's, um, it just had a whole array of his history from the artifacts of uh, the cars, the pianos, and all of his costumes, of course. Um, it really gave me a great sense of how important he was in Las Vegas history and also uh, how different he was than the Liberace we think of today, which is kind of a... Uh, he's kind of a, a punchline. Mm -hmm. um, and back then, he was, you know, the biggest entertainer going. And so uh, it gave me a great perspective of who he was. Did Liberace... Was he a presence in this novel from word one? Were you always thinking you'd write a novel where Liberace was a looming, almost ghostly presence? I kind of think of him as like a, almost like a deity, right. you know? Yes. And um, he was because I think he exemplified what I was trying to bring out about Las Vegas, which is all of this flash, all of this um, artifice. Mm -hmm. and, and then what was underneath that was equally interesting, but often hidden. Mm. And that's why I tried to... Uh, that's why he, he became such a kind of avatar for all of the characters. Now, growing up in Las Vegas, this is a theme that fascinates me ever since I heard a girl I talked to working at a coffee shop in Las Vegas. When I went, she told me... I was asking her what it was like, because you just can't imagine how do you grow up in a city like Las Vegas. It's not for growing up, it's for being grown up and you know visiting a week out of the year, a weekend, most likely. And she said, oh, you know, to be frank, you just get a bunch of drugs, you drive somewhere in the desert and you do the drugs, and you, that's what happens. I mean, what is, tell me, if, is that an accurate sense you have of what it's like to grow up in Las Vegas? You need to have these experiences where you're sort of, you, you get into your own psychological realm somehow, as, as your character Walt does, you know, riding the bus and drawing? Uh, well, to start with, though, I, I never lived in Las right. Vegas. Um, but you did some serious research then, yes. what it's like. Yes, I did. there was a book called The Hidden Las Vegas, I think it was called. And 
the statistics were somewhat grim about uh, dropout rates, violence rates in the part of Las Vegas that you never see. And um, so that really informed what kind of life my main character was leading. And and that seemed to work because it's like beneath the... uh, I guess it really worked for me because um, like in the book it says... He lives in a part of Las Vegas where Lady Luck is turning her back to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that seemed to fit in well with the kind of neighborhood uh, that exists outside of the Strip. Right. And immediately outside, too. It's not like this is a slow fade to uh, nothingness. It's you step 10 feet away from the Strip and you're in a whole new world, right? Oh, exactly. When I was doing research and visiting there, I would go to Fremont Street and then just walk three blocks away and it would be all these you know very depressed looking apartment buildings and uh it it really was informal tax preparers these kind of places (laughs) exactly and so it was uh it was it was easy to imagine that kind of more of a still life a a depressed life a life Mm -hmm. in in stasis now we mentioned uh, this main character this 18 year old uh walt stahl he finds his own psychological space, not with drugs necessarily, but by drawing on the bus, for example. He's an artist, and he grows up to be a graphic novelist. And I want, I want to get a sense of, I mean, when this became for you, before I ask uh, sung some questions, if, when this became for you a book that had to be visual as well as textual? When I started writing it, I had been reading graphic novels for oh, maybe uh, a few years, but I was really getting steeped in it. And, and my influences like Alison Bechdahl and Neil Gaiman, they, they really showed me how powerful the image could be. And, I, and so it started as a, an experiment to see if uh, a reader could do both things. They could read prose, read text, and also uh, read a graphic novel. I, I think that it really uses two different parts of your brain. And so I, I wasn't sure. Um, uh, but as I got into it, it started becoming more and more important because to me, the book is like uh, an archaeological dig of a family's history. And the different shards, the different pieces of pottery were sketches, um, pieces of graphic novel, and the stories that have been passed down. And so to get that kind of texture, to get that um, layered quality, uh, the graphic novel became increasingly important. Mm, if this is the only example I've seen of this hybrid novel and graphic novel, I feel like maybe there are others. I'm not sure. Is there precedent for this in, in, in the way you've done it here and the way you and Song Yun have done it? I, I, there have, like, um, Selznick, uh, who writes for children, has a, a book called Wonderstruck, and then there's also uh, Hugo Cabret. Um, and those do have a large component of, of uh, graphic illustration and then uh, text. I don't personally know of an adult version of that. <laughs> and so having, having gone over that, I'll ask you, Song Yun, what was interesting about illustrating this book, about, about this job? What's, what was different than, what you've, than the illustration work you've done before? So previously, right before this book, I was working on American Widow, and then um, James read it, and he really liked my artwork, and he wanted to be in, 
involved with this graphic novel. So I guess the biggest difference was I got to work on a nonfiction before, and this was a fiction story. So I was really excited.、Um, and like when I first got his manuscript, and he was asking me, "So what do you think? Let me know, like if you're interested." I saw the section that he sent me, and it was. Typed beautifully in orange color, and it's it's for for a visual artist. If you get a script that's super well designed, and like there's nothing, like you're immediately attracted to it. You want to read more, and like, oh, I like, oh, this person is really organized. He's like, he knows what he's doing. So like, you feel the so love and confidence from it. So、um, that's that's how it all started from there.、Yeah. Now everything. You draw for this book. You're drawing as Walt, right? These are these are Walt's drawings, correct? Yes, yes, it is Walt's drawing. But somehow, like James do did point out, like, oh, this looks like you, and like it does. It is me. It is me drawing. It is me responding to his script and Walt's experience and everything. Yeah. So tell me, how did you find a way to draw like Walt? You read this character. You figure out who Walt is. How did you? What did you have to do to draw like him? I think I think I was just drawing like like myself. I I wasn't I wasn't too focused on like oh like I I, I think I was already like oh I'm I'm already well so I don't even have to go back and forth. <laughs> you didn't have to think like I'm an 18 year old in Las Vegas. It was the drawing itself was drawn when after afterwards like there are some sketches when he was drawing when he was a kid then that 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 I really had to like keep in mind、um, but like later on、um, like the the all the comic pages that's when he was an adult and、right. then he was drawing it so it wasn't she didn't have to go far in in style to find me Walt's style because did you see Walt Walt's style in her style yes when I read American Widow I was immediately drawn to how emotional she could、uh, she could be with so few lines and and the contemporary kind of fresh quality and so、uh, I knew that that style would work. Perfectly for Walt's style.、Mm-hmm. Was he a comic artist from the jump in your mind, Walt? Was I mean, did you? There are certain elements. He's a certain type of character in one way we know well, which is a kid who doesn't feel like he feels like he doesn't fit in on a number of levels. Where he's growing up, when he's growing up, how he's growing up, he doesn't he feels like he doesn't fit in. Was he always an artist to you? Yes, I think、um, art was a really important aspect of. All of the characters' lives. You know, there's Emily with her accordion. There's、um, Owen with his、uh, storytelling,、right. and so for me, that was his、um, art. Is kind of his saving force,、mm-hmm. being able to put things down. And and we and it、uh, in the book it talks about how it started because he was drawing pictures of women who were not his mother, trying to figure out who she was by. By illustrating people who were not her, and then kind of by process of elimination, figuring out who she was from there. So he he used it as a, as a survival technique, and then it kind of grew to a profession. And Songyun, I wonder, did you was the, did you find anything familiar in the character of Walt, given that he's also an artist? Did you did you read anything he had to say and think? That actually sounds familiar to me as an artist. Maybe growing up, you had some similar ways of thinking about art or ways of doing art as he did. 
I think it was um, I when I was growing up I did have to take a lot of bus rides and yes. I would I would daydream all the time right. and uh, like being a teenager very young like taking long bus rides to go from A to B like it I, I think that was I could connect to that like immediately right. and um, he didn't have that many friends like I, I think it was I was more in my head at that time so that w- that would be the connect connecting point. Growing up in Korea, I mean, were any of those bus rides over to the art cram school, the Misul Hagwon, or were you, when did you, be, did you become an artist early on? Were, did you, could you fit that into the sort of, with the now well-known, like, academically insane Korean life? So, I, so that, that is the reason why I came to New York. Um, my, my parents didn't want me to have an art career. They were thinking about something else, and then... I, I did major in French literature. Um, my French is really bad, um, and but I did finish school and I was really depressed and I had to negotiate with my parents like, hey, if you, are you able to send me to New York to go to art school? And I can't and imagine they immediately were receptive to that idea. I, I had to write, um, five-year plans like what I'm like every day um, to my parents like this is what I'm gonna do and so it took a while to convince them like I'll I'll actually like study really hard and do my best to get scholarships and, and right. have a career here you had, to, so. you had to make a detailed plan which makes you like another character in this book uh, the character of Emily who is what should I what should I say about her we meet her in the book when she's just driving suicidally through the desert and you, you mentioned you mentioned her earlier. You mentioned her name. You mentioned Owen, who is Walt's father, and how when we meet him, he's in this sort of semi-comatose state, doesn't leave the house, being taken care of by Walt, his 18-year-old son, that hasn't moved from the Vegas apartment they've been in for a very long time. It makes me wonder. I mean, is is Walt the least damaged of the characters in this book? I. Yes, I, I mean, I would hope so, yes. because he's the youngest, and I think he's at a very liminal sta- uh, state right now, where it could go many different ways. Um, he's just graduated, he doesn't know what to do with his life, so he's at that jumping-off place, and he could become as damaged as his family, and it just, it's that kind of finding... It's that kind of seeing what is going to happen to him that I think is the thread throughout the book. Because, of course, the reader fears for him. They see Emily, his mother, who, yes, as we say, blasting through the desert on her way to try to kill herself at the Liberace Museum. His father uh, once was a professor, now can't hold a job as a security guard, barely can't really leave the house uh, for the most part. You think... As a reader, you think that uh, his course is essentially laid out. This can't end well for him. Everything is everything stacked against him. Is that something appealing to you? This character for whom it seems like nothing will go right. So it's up to the narrative to steer him out of that or steer him away from the worst of it as best it can. I put him in that situation because, in a way, that's how I kind of feel like um, life is sometimes. Uh. Uh, life stacks the deck. Life stacks the deck, and and um, I didn't. I wanted him to have some moments of happiness, to to have some moments of discovery, but I actually didn't know what was going to happen to him, uh, what where his journey would end by the end of the book until about 
two-thirds of the way through. So I kind of let his adventure unspool, um, maybe knowing a chapter ahead what I was thinking of doing. Um, but I didn't have a, a plan for, you know, educating him or anything like that. Right. And that seems like it's the best way. I hear it from writers every so often, and you probably do too, that, yes, know what's going to happen in your book, but not the last part. Don't know the end. You have to, the end has to surprise you or it won't surprise the reader. It sounds like that's a, that's a tenet of your writing principles as well. Yes, absolutely. It's almost like I'm, I'm in a room, a dark room. I know it's a living room. Um, I know where the other end of the room is, but it's that journey of uh, going through the room and saying, oh, there's the sofa. <laughs> oh, there's the lamp. And, and um, finding out what the details are of that room uh, that is exciting to me as a writer. Uh, so I knew, I knew uh, the beginning situation, and I knew something about where I wanted it to be by the end, but not specifically, just maybe an image or um, a thought. And so the exciting part became, and, the, and also the, the kind of high wire uh, aspect of writing is seeing how to get from a all the way to z without knowing all the letters in between now as we say this is a debut novel and the good thing about debut novels is you have as long as you need to write them is this one of the books that you know you hear about this yeah i i started writing this book 20 years ago or whatever is this is this a book that's been with you for a longer time than people would expect yes i think um but it was written in a in three years so for a first novel, I think that's not actually too bad. Lightning fast, I would say. <laughs> yeah. But it actually took me then 10 years to, um, to get it, to find an agent and then to get it published. So, and it was interesting because it took me a long time. Uh, I had an agent. That agent then uh, went out of the business. Had, and then two years later, I found the agent I have now. And... Once I found the agent, it was sold within two months. Right. So it was like, you, I almost needed that time to find the right person, and then, and then uh, it seemed to take off on, on its own. You know? and, and like finding Choi, uh, finding my agent was just the most serendipitous act. I, I saw a little squib in a, on a website, yes. and, and then just kind of called him up cold just like I did Choi yeah. and and then some somehow the planets were aligned and they both said yes and uh, and it worked uh, out uh, so well so you have to kind of give the process the time that it needs how often do you go to Las Vegas I go maybe three or four times a year is it pure fun or well, at first it was for research, um, and now <laughs> my 13-year-old son loves Las Vegas. He wants ah. to he wants to visit all of the hotels on the Strip. That's, so it's fascinating because Vegas tried to push the kid thing in the 90s. They long stopped that. The what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas era has. We're deep into that now. Why does Why does he like Vegas so much? Why does he like the hotels? I, I think there's a collectum trade him mindset like you get experience of each one go on right no I, he likes it because of like most people it's glittery it's it's opulent you know he oh. he he likes the sunken bathtubs you know he um we tell him that you know 
that's not all there is to Vegas, but that's what that's what he sees. Right. <laughs> so, have you been to Vegas? Yes, yes. So the first time I went out there was James invited me out there to on the research phase. Ah, so work first. Yes. Yeah, so it was it was really great. We we were at the the uh, Venetian there, and um, it, and and then we got to get on the gondola yes. and then get the, to the gondola ride. And these are important parts of the book, readers. You'll find out oh, if you pick it up. Yes, it was it was really fun. So I still I still remember the first moment when I got to Venetian and I was waiting for James. I had a croissant <laughs> waiting for him. It was really, as they somehow have at the Venetian. It, it was really nice. It was it was a bit chilly. It was really nice there. I I I. So like I like after that like I enjoy going back there whenever I have a chance to. What were your impressions just visually as an artist seeing a place like the Vegas Strip for the first time, a place that looks like nothing else in the world but resembles so many other parts of the world all put together? Like, what's interesting just to your eye, to what you want to capture artistically or visually? What's what's interesting? What was interesting when you first saw Vegas? It, it's very man-made. And all the people there, they're, they come out there to have fun. So you see all sorts of people like in one area like there's these like Chinese tourists like uh, wandering around and then you see people from like other places who looks like they're from a different era and like they have a different hairstyle on the, all the clothes and they're like they're all walking around with a Bud Light in their hand and it and there's a rodeo show happening like a, a block away so like you see like 30 people with cowboy ha uh, hat hats like on so it's I, I, it, 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 like in Korea, I, I wonder if you have been to Lotte World. Oh. It did feel like Lotte World in a brand, like a really, really big right. Lotte World there. And there's also a lot of Koreans in Las Vegas, as you probably noticed. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, I, 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 I really enjoy going there. It's, it's just nice to walk around and see people. And she she did have her first what was it um, uh, fried Twinkie. Oh my God, so. the American dream. I I did enjoy going to the old trip too and, and see um, it was really nice. Yeah. Were you looking forward to drawing these kind of things when you saw it? You you, you thought oh this will be this will be a fun setting to actually try to figure out for myself on paper. I I'm actually just like. Uh, it, it, it's just more enjoyable to just walk around and absorb the experience right. and then maybe I uh, when I'm at home on my desk by myself I can do like those experience and that could be like a short comic strip for me but like at that moment like I, it's just uh, I'm just very occupied to soak in everything right, with, with exactly. my eyes yeah it just it never the absorption process never stops you can walk around and I feel like Walt has a trace of understanding of this more than a trace living in Vegas I feel like a lot of people who live there or grow up there avoid the strip like the plague, but he he understands almost with an outsider's eye what's interesting about the Vegas Strip, spatially interesting. You, you mentioned your son being fascinated by the hotels. Walt, I feel like he gets it. He gets it in a sense that he likes what I like about Las Vegas, which is that the spatial qualities feel unlike anything else. The inside is outside, outside is inside. You, you go see, your experience bleeds from one casino to the other without you knowing it. You're in another, you're down the strip halfway before you realize you've gone outside. You know, what, why does Walt, what gives Walt that perspective? I think that Walt, um, 
Walt's history is in a way tied up on the strip. The only history he knows. Um, and that's all been through stories of what happened uh, when he was five years old and his mother left him. So in a way he's drawn to that area because it's, it's the only history he has. He doesn't have any photos, he doesn't have other relatives, and, and so it, it's, it's home to him. Um, sometimes in a, it, it impacts him negatively, I think, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's his family history. Right, as we say, it's when we meet Walt, his mother's not in the picture, he's taking care of his father, he's living in Vegas, he's only known the motherless life, he's only known the Vegas life, these are all that are in his memory. But his family, his family has a past, the immediate past of his family, before his awareness, is in Chicago. What's Chicago to you? Chicago is where I went to school, um, and then I stayed there for about 15 years, so it's actually what I consider to be my hometown in a way you know I, I have such deep roots there in the theater um, and college friends are out there and so um, it was an easy place to write about because it, it was far enough in the past that uh, I could pick out the memories that I wanted to have in, in a way it's really funny because Los Angeles is harder to write about for me because it's so steep. It's hard to write about well, for sure. <laughs> yeah. you, there's a lot of books out there, I won't name them, which don't capture Los Angeles, but it's not for lack of trying. And, and it's because, for me, it's so steeped in the mundane, in the practical, this is where I shop, this is where I go to the movies. Whereas when I go to Las Vegas, I can look at it with this outsider eye and, and pick out what is interesting to me and what I can use metaphorically, uh, symbolically, and I'm not tied to the reality of it, right. you know? And, and Chicago is far enough in the past that what is in my memory of it comes out and, I, and, and in relief, and so I can, I can pick out those things. Whereas Los Angeles is my everyday, you know, day-to-day, -day, so that's why I haven't really written anything uh, Los Angeles-based. You do need a, a means of making yourself an outsider to write about Los Angeles or any other city. And in Las Vegas, there is a sense in which it, it's so designed for the outsider, isn't it? That, you know, even if you're an insider, you're kind of, it's always pushing you to feel, I mean, in a way it's happening to Walt, right? He's, he's at home in Vegas, riding the bus in his neighborhood or what have you. But does, does, it, does Vegas feel to him like it is always sort of outsiderizing him? I mean, there's various elements of his life that are conspiring to make him feel like an outsider, but the city itself doesn't really, it's not accommodating in that sense, is it? I think for Walt, the, it's that sense that he lives in the other. He lives in the part that's not wonderful. Right. The geographic uh, other space. Right. But also, in a way, and that mirrors his, his um, family space, that he's living a life that is inert. Whereas Las Vegas is, is just constantly reinventing itself and full of sounds and bright lights and flashing movement and he is he lives a life that's completely opposite of that and so he can't help but kind of feel this outsider-ness of it. And I mean there's many reasons for that. I think reviews for example will will reviewers will call this 
a gay coming-of-age novel for the 21st century. And one of the reasons they'll say the 21st century is that the word gay, to my recollection, is never in this book. Was that conscious? Yes, I guess. Uh, I wanted to write something in which him being gay was not a, a big deal. And, and I think that actually mirrors a lot of kids today. Um, and, and, and in which there is not that requisite coming out angst and, and, and shame, but that, it, that there's just joy. And, uh, and, that, and that he can accept it right away. Um, it was weird because when, when, he, when he did come out <laughs> uh, on the bus, um, I was surprised that it was happening, and and then, but it seemed enough. His moment of realization, and I think, in a way, that's something that I identify with as well. That sense of oh, here I am. This is this is me. This is the real me, and there there isn't a lot of drama about it. And so I wanted to kind of reflect that in the book. And one of the one of the ways the reader infers this is by Walt's view of like, this Greek god, who literally plays a Greek god on the strip. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a young Greek guy who uh, found his way to America, and he and his sister, are, they, they paint themselves white, and they, they position themselves as gods on these columns uh, at the Venetian, and I guess they just work for tips that way. I mean, is this a, what, is this a class of performer you're familiar with? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, no, when I... It's a world, and I feel like I was glad to get a glimpse of their oh, world. It's, that's interesting. I, one of the first uh, ideas I had about the book, you know, like there's so many little threads of, of things that I pick up and I wind, you know, weave them together, and that becomes the story. But one of the things I wanted to look at was the idea of a real mythology within the completely artificial world of Las Vegas. And, and I had an idea about the statue performers and how that maybe they were part of, a, of an ancient kind of cult and, and that there would be some mythic qualities behind such a, you know, uh, completely merchandised right. uh, occupation. Um, and, and in the beginning, in, in earlier drafts, I, you know, I was toying with the idea of these ancient statue performers and how one, one statue was actually, uh, had, had, had died because he was so still that nobody knew he was real. Um, so I wanted to kind of develop its own mythology and then it kind of led to these, uh, great, um, sexy, <laughs> sexy characters, which was great for Walt and, and for his, um, Discovery. Right. It's it's fascinating as well that I mean their whole job is to be as still as possible, to look like still statues made of stone, but also to move. You know, they you look at them at one hour and they're a certain position, you come back at another hour, they've changed, but you didn't see them move. Waltz really admires this this self control that this character, Christo, has. Uh, he specific just the sense that he can the sense that he's entirely under the reins of his own will. I mean, what what fascinates Waltz about this degree of self-control he has? For him, the idea of stillness is that you are completely comfortable with who you are and 
where you are. And because he is not, in the beginning, never comfortable with who he is and, and where he is, it, he finds it endlessly fascinating. Um, and there's a kind of a darker side or a flip side to that stillness in, in that his father is still but it's inertia. It's it's being unable to move, unable to make decisions, unable to act. And so I really like that kind of looking at the different types of stillness. Right. You know, there's stillness, and then there's also this sense of control. I mean, if we call it that, you can draw a line to Emily Walt's mother, who, as we alluded to earlier, was always making lists with bullet point after bullet point, trying to keep her world under every. Uh, under every sort of angle of control she could. I mean, are these similar tendencies in your mind? The, this tendency toward physical control and toward, I guess, emotional and lifestyle control? Oh, that's interesting. That's, that's really an interesting question. I mean, because for me, Emily exemplified movement, running away, escape, and, and her reactions, her, her reaction to life and her husband's reaction are that's the tension the 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 different responses to grief to tragedy the idea of either running away or staying still and and the idea that running away is also running from your past and his is continually looking back you know that whole looking back like like um, Orpheus you know he looks back and then and and, and it, he can never escape from there. Or you know, in, in Orpheus's case, it's Eurydice who never escapes. Um, so, for me, the uh, those are the two polar opposites. And in a way, Christo, in his in his immense control in stillness, is kind of the midway point between the two uh, polar opposites. And Walt and Christo developed this relationship where. Uh, where Christo poses for Walt, Walt draws Christo, and this happens over over time. There's a succession of nights where he draws him, he poses for him, and there's this vector of tension there. You wonder, Walt wonders, is is he? Does he want me? Does he not? I mean, is he even homosexual? Or he, he's? I love the line. You know, the Greeks practically invented homosexuality. Why? Why can't? Why is this so hard to determine? And one night. Uh, Christo's sister, Acacia, who seems like a, just a mean drunk a lot of the time, gives Walt a ride home, or where he says he lives. Uh, and she says, you know, don't bother with my brother, he's not like you, which the reader takes to mean he's not gay. But I, th I think she means something else. He's not like Walt in an entirely different way. What, in what way does she mean? Well, I, I can't tell you that, because it kind of, that's, um... That is a twist that happens later right, on in the right. story. In a, broad, in a broad sense, no need to give away the book for the readers, but she means something more than he's not gay, right? He, she means something more than he's not willing to have sex with you. He means he, he's a. She means he's a different person than you are. Yeah, he's a, he's definitely a uh, different, almost a different species, yeah. you know. And I think Walt says that at one point because he. Um, the way he goes through life and the way his he, goals and how he achieves them and how he achieves them sure. uh, are completely different than what Walt thinks of uh, it's completely different than the relationship that Walt thinks he has with Christo right, you right. know Sonia when you read this book 
what 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 element were you sort of most excited or interested to to draw to to make visual what was what were you thinking about like oh this is going to be this is going to be cool to actually it's something i've never drawn before or a, a, something in the story i've never seen before well actually it was i was more drawn into the sadness it's mm. really weird but it was oh okay there's not that you don't need that many words to express sadness and i was somehow i i it, it, it sounds weird i i was enjoying making sadness visual like in, in the pages and i realized like man i'm really good at this it's it's uh and uh but but it was um uh it, it, yeah it, it was a different setting and then like the I, I could I could play around with uh, the, the the expression of the characters and that like just creating this world was very exciting for me and and another thing is um, when Emily's playing the accordion drawing music was fun too Draw, uh, drawing the actual playing of music yes like mu music I, I I kind of I, I was it, it just came out like just oh I, when I'm reading this, like oh, I feel like I'm I'm hearing the accordion play. It, it was it was it was nice. It was it was a really nice experience. I, I was just wondering if the the whole idea of drawing sadness was something that you really had to deal with a lot in American Widow because that's all about a 9/11 widow. I mean, you, you you had a lot of shades of sadness in that as well, yes. right? Yes. Um. So when I was done with American Widow, that was a different book. It was it was related to a person that I met every week. Um, so after the book was done, I had to um, stop like working on comics for a bit. I, I couldn't. I had hard time dealing with um, death and the, the. So like, and um, I, I didn't have like personally. Exp I, I didn't have to go through that. But somehow, um, when I when I got when I got your script, it was it it made me move on to the next step so i i, I don't know it, it, it was different it, it's hard to explain what did you learn in the process of illustrating this book about how you express sadness visually about drawing sadness did you did you learn anything specific about that during this project it was timing like the silence silence was speaking a lot so i i, I guess it was more of that um and and it it was it was really nice because when I'm because I'm I'm working off of the script it's it's more of um it it, it was awesome James is, was a great art director for me too he he had an idea in his head and he was he 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 did a great job like leading me to to a certain point and we we had a really good back and forth of like working with this so oh so that that would be another thing i learned is um if you have a good art director writer it's the product is very exciting and uh, enjoyable to work on yeah it's a lot a lot of finding the right people for sure and james did you know from the get-go which parts of the story would have to be text and which comics yes i i i chose Especially the first section, I, I absolutely knew. Uh, I absolutely knew that that was going to be a graphic novel part, and then uh, the other ones just seemed to naturally 
fall into place. Right. Um, they kind of dealt with the whole background of the mother leaving and what happened to her. And then there's the one Greek section which seems so ripe for graphic novelization. Um, there were maybe, I don't know, one or two other sections that could have been, but uh, I don't know, it's somehow through the process of, of publishing and figuring out what percentage would be text and what was graphic novel, it, it ended up like this. And it was a very happy day for you, correct, when the publisher said you could get a color, right? One, one color. Uh, did you get to choose the color? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, had, we had such back and forth, and, and it was really like, Joy, do you like this one? Do you? Right. And she would go, oh, yeah, that one's good. And then I would, you know, well, what about this shade of blue? It, it right. turns out, you know, they gave us one color, and, and I knew I wanted it to be blue. Um, I don't know if you got tired of blue. Um, yeah, what did you think about yeah. this color battle or whatever it was? <laughs> it, blue is an amazing color, it's a, and a lot of people get drawn into it. Um, so, but there, were, there was no part of you that wanted like international orange or something at some point. <laughs> there, I, I was excited when I got the script from James when it was orange. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> uh, because like all three books that I worked on, it was the 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 comic books that I worked on. There, there, it was a shade of blue, so including this one. So I was like, hmm, maybe we can experiment with something else. But it 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 suit it suited the artwork. So um, like that that that's how it happened. I mean, so much of the the blue of it was really important because of the blue Volvo. I thought that's like kind of like the big symbol of the book. So the blue Volvo, um, the sky and how the painted sky and also the water of the Venetian hotels, uh, gondolas. And what I, and, it, and, and, you know, you did a really amazing job with the gradations of blue that she did and the screening of it so that, um, uh, you got so many different shades out of the one color. Uh, and I was so, so like there's this one page, it's a full page of two of the characters sitting in a gondola uh, on in the Venetian. And, oh, it's so evocative and so beautifully rendered. The, the, the clouds, the, 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 the rippling water, um, that, that it just, it, it, was, it was perfect. It was exactly what I had envisioned. One of the ways the comic art is used is to visualize, as you say, this, or as we discussed before as well, the the story that is family lore. I guess you might say it's the story. It's the story of how Walt's mother disappeared. That Walt's father tells and tells again, and Walt believes because he has nothing else to believe. There was he's had no other information on the whereabouts of his mother, whom to his memory he's never known. But Walt gets into this later about just how this happens, how facts get displaced by myths and become, or how, you know, how, how, how events become mythologized, even within one person's life or within a family. How do you think of this process? Is it universal? I mean, does, every, does everyone have this to some degree? They've grown up with a head chock full or just a little lightly dusted with these family myths that nobody nobody ever really meant to lie but things just inevitably become mythologized with time and through the telling and, and all that i 
I can't really speak to for any of the other you know families I know people who have amazingly happy childhoods for me uh, I grew up uh, where family history was dangerous mm. where family history needed to be kind of erased right and so uh, you know I'm sure m many people don't have this experience but for for us for my older sisters and I it was a matter of that whole area, you know, that whole childhood was erased. The less we know, the better? The less we know, the better. And if we ask, uh, the spinning of the house occurs, uh, you know? No and one asks, no one tells. No one asks, no one tells. And eventually, those memories go, um, kind of replaced by a very simple, simply edited, short, you know, uh, description of what your first five to seven years, you know, what, ha what happened there. So uh, it's very true to, to what I know growing up, what I knew growing up. Um, I, I hope that most people don't have that experience. Right. And it's, it's certainly, it, it has its own form in the life of Emily, of Walt's mother, who is a Vietnamese orphan, who's adopted. I mean, this is a, this is a book where a fair few characters have had their past sort of taken away from them or they've just pushed it away. I mean, I think of Liberace, there's, there's some reinvention for you, right? I mean, he's, he's part of this too. He's, he's, he's a, not victim of this. He's a, he was a user of this, right? You know, Vegas itself. Vegas itself is a place where the past wasn't anything to talk about, really in a desert, uh, where it just suddenly seems to, you know, a lot of these lives just seem to start mostly formed at a certain point, just like Vegas seemed to just pop up. It's just like Liberace seemed to be Liberace from day one, although you know he, he had to have a childhood. He was, he was an immigrant, he was something else, you know? Is, that, if this is, is, this, is this a theme that itself fascinates you? It is. Um, when I wrote the book, and I was thinking about this because uh, when I wrote the book, I was so concentrated on the story and these particular characters and what they were going through and how they went through it. And it was only um, after the book was published and I was uh, doing the audiobook that I realized, oh my God, this is all about you know me, uh, dear God. And I and I, I told my sister, what have I done? Right, right. <laughs> and and I realized that I had to, in a way, hide it from myself mm. because because that part of my life is was so uh, steeped in danger. Right, and and there was almost this kind of you know shut the door, don't don't open the door. So I had to kind of like find a different way in, and it was through these characters. And like the older Walt, who narrates the entire thing, he's trying to piece together his his past um, in a way, uh, you know, in a kind of a very meta way. Uh, I was doing the same thing, even though none of the events that happened in the book happened to me, it, it was almost as if this were a dream of, of my past that, that I, I cobble together and, and create some sense out of. You mentioned before this is not a, this is not a kid's book, but is it a book for kids? Uh, not, not directed for kids, but what do you, how do you think of the audience here? Because it is like, well, this might be, it's, it's especially true in America, but comics, I feel like every 
year, I read a trend piece about how oh, comics aren't just for kids anymore. Now anybody can read them. Other countries have known this for a long time, and you know, Europe and Asia. But for some reason, Americans have to be like really sold on this idea that somebody over the age of sixteen can read a comic book. Uh, so here we have we have this form of comics where. It's it's a form that maybe hasn't reached its full demographic potential in America yet, and we have a novel that is, it could be read by kids, it could be read by adults. There's sort of a, there's sort of a, is it a deliberate escape from age boundaries? This book in terms of readership? No, absolutely not. I, I, I knew I was just writing the story. I didn't know, you know. I, I assumed it was for adults. Um, there have been some forays into the YA territory, which you know is quite. Popular. The highly lucrative Wyatt territory. I'll just say it now. <laughs> but um, and and because the main character is a seventeen-year-old to going to eighteen-year-old boy, um, and his coming of age in a way, it, it does suit a, a YA format. But I think that some of the other themes, uh, the themes of grief and looking back into your past, um, and and also you know. The sorting of family history seems to me um, maybe a more mature, more mature themes than than YAs usually deal with. Yeah, it's it's true. You have to. I mean, as a, as a kid, at, when I was YA age, I hated YA novels because they just seemed too simplified. Like you're saying, you know, I wish there. I would, I would have not even considered Still Life Las Vegas a YA novel because it wasn't simplified in that dumb way, very didactic. There's no like lesson, there's no lesson giving in this book, I think. Not deliberate. Maybe a kid could learn a few lessons from the book, sure. But there's no you handing down lessons to the, uh, to the young readership, right? Well, that, that said, though, I think the, you know, the popularity of YA books have, have made YA books... Uh, much more nuanced than yeah, they, better one than when I was a kid, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know because they're dealing with themes in uh, and and things that that kids are grappling with, and and like I just read one called um, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, hmm. and it was about a kid who was kind of coming out, um, and I was so amazed by what it can cover, what, what YA means. I mean, in a way, it's, a, it's almost a silly, uh, it's, it's a silly label for a genre because any book about a young kid can be YA, right? right? Um, I know there are some different uh, characteristics of YA that have to be followed, you know, certain things you can't do. Right. And, I, of course, I didn't want to be constrained by that in writing, but I wouldn't mind if... If this were also considered, you know, YA territory. When did you realize you had two crafts, both acting and writing? Well, I've always written. Um, Before acting? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I had a, <laughs> I had a book of short stories in fourth grade that that got second prize. That's uh, more than most fiction writers I know <laughs> that had it fourth grade. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, and then when I was in Chicago, I, I, I graduated in theater. Um, when I was in Chicago, I did a lot of um, plays and adaptations, and so I got my writing fix that way. Um, and because I could get them produced, uh, which is really important for learning your craft of, with uh, plays, um, that really satisfied me. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, the theater scene is very different than in Chicago. Right. And um, 
and of course I did the requisite screenplay, huh. you know, which everyone must do if they live in uh, Los Angeles. I just saw some at the Starbucks just now with their final draft open. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, that was, I don't know, screenplays are a lot more about selling, and, and uh, that's not my strong suit. So uh, I gave myself the time and the um, opportunity to, to write uh, a long-form you know this novel, um, but I've always known that I, you know, that I wanted to write. And to me, the novel is kind of the the highest form of writing. You know, as a voice actor, does that does it, is the is the audiobook any easier to do? I feel like authors often don't like doing the audiobook, but you're a voice actor. That's like that's well trod territory for you, right? It is, except there's like some parameters uh. of of voice acting that. Um, or in doing audiobooks, you know, it's it's a different world than say animation, where you you're very big and broad, and and you know, with audiobooks, you have to kind of be in somebody's ear or in somebody's car for many many hours, and you you don't want to kind of um, exhaust them. Mm. But that said, I had a I had a wonderful time doing it. Mm. It was it was so fun, and you know, creating these. Voices of that I've always been hearing in my head as I wrote. Uh, you did voices. Well, oh, you mean in the in the for the, in the in reading the book, like re reading the book for the audio book. Were you doing distinct? This is this is a craft I haven't heard much about. But were you doing distinct voices? How much mm -hmm. of a voice were you doing for each character? What like yeah. was it like when you're doing a voice of a character on an animation, or is it more like this is a version of my voice? It's really oh, it was so tricky to kind of negotiate that um, because you know it, it was it was hard. Uh, and there are so many different examples of people who do narration for books and. Um, some of them use characters a lot. They're, you know, if you listen to any of the Harry Potter things, it's very delineated, the different characters. And then there are people who don't do characters at all. Right. So for me, um, I mean, so many, there's a very international cast in my book. So you have to, you know, do the, the Greek accent. You have to, you know, <laughs> yes, work on that because that is part of the, their uh, experience. And, I didn't think you know, about that. <laughs> so, you know, and then the, the, uh, the Liberace vandals who are, who are Mexican. Right. So you, you had to give the flavor. So, yes, I would say that I veered more towards uh, delineating the characters through voice than maybe some others do. Mm. Yes, there's a lot of ways to experience this book now that I think about it, because it is textual and visual, and there's the audiobook version as well. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there have already been people come knocking at your door saying, you know, maybe this is adaptable into some form or another, or if not now, they will soon. But tell me, uh, Sungyun, when you saw the completed book, I mean, what did you, what did you think of seeing all this together, the text and the, your visuals, everything, everything in one package? How did you react to that? Oh, it was it was beautiful from like the cover, the packaging, and everything. Um, I thought it was like, hmm. I, I was guessing it's because like the, I guess I, I I was used to seeing books that was mostly comic books, and there are some writings in it. And then, oh, okay, so this is not illustration. It's gonna be read in a comic book format when there's a visuals happening. How would that read? And did, did you have any like, 
fear about that? Like, is this going to work with a novel and a comic? I mean, now that we know it works now, so what did you did you have any sense of doubt? Like, can this actually happen where it's both a novel and comics and everything together? So actually, so when when I met James in Vegas, uh, no, it was before that. When we first met in New York and Brooklyn, um, he gave me this file. It's this giant white file, and he printed out all the pages and wherever the graphic part was orange. And so I'm just reading the whole thing there, and then there are sections that are supposed to be graphic, the comic book form, and like, oh, it'll, I I I think I already kind of knew that it was gonna work at that point. And like, this is a nice balance. But at the time, he had different formats in it. Uh, it was in the script format. I thought that was beautiful too. Like, visual, it's it's going like the 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 script format that was in your head. It it was abstract. I really liked that moment, and I, I really liked the Walt um, dialogue, his narrative going on in the novel format, and then there's the graphic. I thought it was a really well-balanced manuscript, so I had no doubt that it was going to work out that way. There used to be, um, in addition to graphic novel uh, sections, there used to be screenplay sections. Right. Well, you know, the Los Angeles influence. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> um, and when, when did those drop by? They dropped out, I think, by the time of the second agent. Uh, and why? And there was a general... Most people, I think, found maybe that that was one format too many. Nah. You know, like, oh, wait. And, I, you know, uh, I'm used to read, writing or reading screenplays, but right. I think other people weren't. And they were like, well, you know, this is one too many. Why, uh, I guess, how did that fit into the story? What What... From what perspective was the screenplay coming? I find it hard to imagine when that would have happened. Well, the screenplays evolved into what uh, what Sung Young did with the sketches. Ah. So it used to be him, uh, the same moment, the moment of his mother leaving, and uh, each of the screenplays dealt with that, and each of them was different. One of them was more fantastical, and Liberace came in with his robes, you know, his cape swirling and stealing her away, and another one, it was very realistic with her sobbing over her son as she was leaving. Um, and then when we decided to jettison them, I, I still wanted the layer. And so... Uh, Sung Young and I worked on making the making them sketches instead, and and I actually think that works a lot better because it deals with him as an artist, you know. And the, I think the screenplay was a little more um, tenuous a connection between Walter and the screenplay. Right. I I was really happy that I actually read it because I had a totally different experience when I was reading the script part. It's it's still in my head. I had a, 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 a an experience that like I'm I'm so sad that the other readers can't experience the same thing. <laughs> but it helped you draw what you needed to draw because you read the oh, screenplay yes, sections. Yes. It was it, it it was a beautiful vacuum space that he created in there and a lot of people are missing out because it's not. <laughs> That's in the. Maybe there will be some extras on your website at some point. I don't know. I don't know if you're legally even allowed to post that kind of thing. But there's something to consider. Finally, you mentioned you had a. You have a 13-year-old son. Uh, has he read this book? No. He, <laughs> no. he wants nothing to do with he, anything. He doesn't we, want to. No, he says he does. But right. um, um, and he actually has a copy of it 
in his room. I, I just don't think he's opened it. He's, do, you, do you want him to read it, ideal, or would you rather he wait a while? I think I'd rather. I think I'd rather he wait. Though, you know, it's... Yes, I'd like him to wait, just because uh, I think he'll get a lot more out of it mm-hmm. in a, when he's a little more mature. Mm-hmm. And um, he, you know, he's adopted. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he has his own issues, I'm sure, about who he is, where he comes from, his past. So I think that will resonate uh, a lot when he does read it, but probably not for, for a little bit. Do you think the Liberace Museum will ever come back? No. I, don't you think? I think that the, the, the people to whom it, it meant so much, they're kind of aging out. They're kind, kind of, of dead. They're kind of, yes, let's say it, they're dead. So, um, and, you know, I don't know that a lot of young, the new generation knows him at all, right? Because most of it is through live performance. So, um, but I did find out through the Liberace Foundation, which, is, which has all the stuff, that they, are, they do tour around. And um, they now have a Liberace hologram. So, so you could have uh, Liberace coming to your event. <gasps> the future is now. Well, <laughs> sure, we've missed out on the Liberace Museum, but we haven't missed out on Still Life Las Vegas, the new novel, the debut novel by James C., whom I've talked to today, today along with the book's illustrator, Sung Yun Thanks so much. Thank you. It was great. This has been the Los Angeles Review of Books podcast. I've been Colin Marshall. You can keep up with me at colinmarshall.org and with the LARP at lareviewofbooks.org. Thanks.